1: Yeah, I kind of think it is. I think we need to keep our eye on the ball. Um, about three years ago, January 30th, 2020, head of the World Health Organization said a novel coronavirus that had first been identified in China had spread to a degree where it was now a public health emergency of international concern. Well, we all know how that story ended with sars COVID 2 which caused the disease COVID-19. Well, what else is there out there? What are spillover infections? What should we be worried about now? Raina Plowright joins us now, a professor of disease ecology at Cornell University. Good morning, doctor. How are you?
2: Oh, good. Thank you. Um, good to be on. Good uh, to talk to you.
1: Are, are you concerned about stuff? What keeps you up at night? Because, uh, you know, I mentioned we got some problems here politically and in, in Orleans Parish and, and law enforcement wise, which are one thing. But well, compared to compared to viruses and things that are completely out of our control, that's that's something else completely. Um. Where do we begin talking about this? Is there anything on the horizon that could potentially potentially be another COVID?
2: Yes. So the viruses that I work on tend to be more pathogenic than COVID, so they have a much higher fatality rate in people but they don't spread very well from person to person and so the concern amongst my community of of scientists is that um we could see something else emerge from animals into people that has a much higher fatality rate and that could spread efficiently amongst amongst humans so yes that's what's keep that's what keeps me up at night
1: are these things I presume there are some that are weaponized by countries, maybe including us. Are these things that occur in nature, both?
2: Well, of course we have to worry about viruses coming from from anywhere, but the reality is that viruses are spilling over from animals to people every moment, like probably thousands of times a second globally. And most of these, what we call spillover events or zoonotic spillover events, actually really go nowhere, cause very little disease, maybe some diarrhea, nausea, a fever, some encephalitis, but don't pass from human to human. And so never actually recorded. I mean, most people, when we get sick, we actually never really know what caused us to be sick. So, um, these the, the risk of this happening is very, very high. What we worry about is one of those viruses that is spilling over, then being able to transmit from person to person.
1: What is the movie with um, Gwyneth Paltrow? I can't think of the name of it, where she goes to China and gets sick, and then or Hong Kong, wherever it is, in a casino, and then it spreads and spreads and spreads, and Matt Damon's in it as well. Um, is that a realistic scenario that we see in that movie?
2: Right, that was contagion. Contagion. That was actually... That was a very good movie. I actually thought there was there was so much about that movie that was very realistic. So the movie was based on the virus called Nipah virus. Mm-hmm. It emerged in Malaysia in the late nineties and killed a couple of hundred people, but it wasn't very efficient at transmitting from person to person. So we didn't see a huge outbreak like we saw in the movie Contagion. But I thought what was very interesting in that that movie is that the um, the consequences of the virus, the, the negative societal consequences, um, actually were were really portrayed very well. At the time, I thought the conspiracy theorist was probably a little bit unrealistic, mm-hmm. but actually, that was probably the most realistic component of the the whole wow. movie. Is the um, you know this this like. You can tra- a virus can transmit, but conspiracy theories seem to be able to transmit actually even more effectively. I thought the one thing that was really unrealistic about that movie was when Kate Winslet, she was a, an intern at the CDC, and she was sent, I think, to somewhere in the Midwest, maybe Wisconsin, mm-hmm. to investigate an outbreak that had already killed some, some, something like 30 people. And I thought that was a little unrealistic. Perhaps they would send more than their intern
1: if, if such a situation arose, well, it was Kate Winslet, you um, know. <laughs> right. Kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so when we talk about, let me, let me, in my simple mind, doctor, let me explain it to you this way: when you talk about thousands of viruses every second jumping from animals to humans. I'm thinking of, let me quote another movie, War Game. Remember War Games? I don't know if you've ever seen a movie where they're, the, the numbers have to match and it's like they're searching numbers at random and it's got five numbers, it's got six numbers, it's got seven numbers. I don't remember that scene or not. But that to me is the way this seems like with the viruses and, and spillover viruses that it's just a matter of time until something like that does happen where – The right amount of variables, I don't know if it's, um, what's the mathematical term here? Um, uh, uh, It it doesn't matter, doctor. The the point I'm making is where eventually the variables all line up and we do have some kind of major concern here that threatens society.
2: Exactly. And this is how spillover happens. It's really this aligning of all of these conditions. It's, for example, you have to have a reservoir host. It's often a wildlife species that is infected with the pathogen. That, that, that wildlife uh, host has to then come into contact with people. Often we see that is, happens through destruction of habitat when animals move out of habitat to find food, for example, in, in farmland. The the animal has to be shedding the pathogen, and often that only happens when the animal is a little bit stressed. Mm -hmm. So if the climatic conditions are extreme or there isn't enough food available, they might be more likely to be excreting the virus. And then there have to be specific behaviors that brings the person into contact with the virus. Like in Bangladesh, for example, Nipah virus is transmitted through drinking date palm sap. Uh, We see other viruses spillover through, for example, bushmeat hunting, slaughtering of animals, Um, and then the virus has to be able to transmit from human to human. And sometimes we think that often happens when first the virus goes into an intermediate, like a bridging host. And this may be an animal in in the wildlife trade. For example, there's this extensive trade of wild animals, pretty much globally, And what we understand now in this trade is that animals are sourced from the wild, they're brought to a central hub, and then many, many species are brought into that same hub. They're all housed in in often awful conditions, in cages, one on top of the the other, excreting faeces and urine, perfect conditions for transmission. And then they're aggregated more and more animals along the hub until eventually they end up on the plate, someone's dinner plate. By the time they end up on someone's, dinner plate, the number of viruses that have been circulating, the amount of virus within these populations of traded animals can be very, very high. So they're the kind of risky situations that we think drive spillover. So it's the destruction of the habitat. It's the... Um, people coming into these habitats and having more contact with wild animals and then animals being brought into the wildlife trade. These are the conditions. These create the conditions for spillover.
1: So I- is it a matter of time till, in permutation and combination, w- w- was the uh, phrase I was looking for, until all of these variables align and something like this does happen?
2: Exactly. So you can think of it like it's its, it's kind of like gambling. You, you can throw a dice and maybe you have to throw it six times to get six sixes in a row, and then you'll get spillover. Mm-hmm. And so if we're just throwing the dice you know, every few minutes, maybe it'll be very unlikely we'll get six sixes in a row. But once we start throwing the dice thousands of times a second, we're much more likely to see all of those numbers come up in a row. So the more and more we do create the conditions for spillover, the more we're likely to see everything align at the same point in time and space and see that perfect virus go from a wild animal that's now hidden in nature, jumping from that wild animal into a human population and then having the right conditions to go from human to human and then cause another pandemic.
1: Is there any way to stop throwing the dice?
2: Absolutely, there are actually really simple things we can do to stop throwing the dice. Now we can't stop every spillover But what we can do is instead of throwing the dice every second a thousand times, perhaps we're throwing it every second a hundred times or ten times. So we're lowering that probability that everything aligns. The basic things we can do are protect wildlife habitat, reduce the encroachment of people into these habitats. And this might be simple things like helping people develop sustainable agricultural practices. They don't have to clear so much forest to be able to produce food. It might be regulating the wildlife trade so that it's safer or not letting certain animals into the wildlife trade. Uh, Hygiene uh when we're handling animals particularly for people who may be trading animals and that's really their only source of income at least providing them the protection they need so they don't get infected and then detecting the viruses so right now people walk into hospitals around the world with encephalitis that's inflammation of the brain or respiratory problems or a fever and almost never get a diagnosis but if we had proper medical facilities in places where spillover is a high risk, they could quickly detect a new pathogen. We're much more likely to be able to stop it really quickly. But we really do want to stop that spillover happening in the first place.
1: Yeah, your accent is delightful, and and if there if there's anything that will make a deadly virus at least less threatening, it's a delightful accent. May I ask where you're from? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Australian. Australian. I'm glad you can detect
2: my my accent. The Australians say that I I sound completely American. Do really? No, you sound Australian to me.
1: Um, We're going to continue to talk about spillover viruses. If you all have any questions, 504-260-1870. How how do you, doctor, how do you sleep at night? How how does this not keep you up? I don't know if you have children or not or family members or friends. How do you not just lie in bed at night with your eyes wide open, staring at the ceiling saying, "Uh uh-oh? How do, you, how do you avoid that?
2: I Well, I do everything I possibly can to provide the best science and information so that we can try to prevent these events. For example, we've just convened a large group of people to think about how could we stop the spillover event happening in the first place. And there are very simple strategies, particularly around bats. Bats are really important hosts of viruses that are important for, for humans. So the first thing we could do is conserve the habitats, the roosting places of bats, make sure animals have enough to eat, they're less likely to be shedding viruses, and then finding a way to get this into international policy. So right now, the world is focused on preventing the next pandemic by developing vaccinations, which is is incredibly important. I mean, we're not going to prevent every spillover event. And if we do have a, a virus, that emerges that has, say, a 50% fatality rate in people, we want to have a vaccination available immediately so we can protect our our families, our our loved ones. But if we could actually stop that from happening in the first place, that would actually be much more efficient. But, But the strategies to stop the spillover event, they're not being implemented at the international policy level. So what we're trying to do is push, like, for example, the World Bank Pandemic Fund, WHO, to think about prevention of spillover as opposed to just thinking about responding to a spillover after it has happened.
1: Women and politics never make for good bedfellows. However, you do have to look, I think, at uh, future um, spillover uh, infections and how the United States or how the world would react to them after COVID, right? So we'll address that when we come back. Dr. Raina Plowright's our guest, professor of disease ecology at Cornell University, a world-renowned expert and owner of a delightful Australian accent. Tommy Tucker, back in a flash, 922-WWL. Oh, if you have any questions, 504-260-1870. Text them to the Oakenheart Heart Jeweler Talk and Text Line, and I'll pass them along to Dr. Plowright when we return on WWL. Look, you'd rather us here messing things up than in some contagious lab somewhere with viruses spilling over and so forth, right? Dr. Reina Plowright is our guest, professor of disease ecology at Cornell University, and we're talking about spillover viruses. Doctor, before the break, I was saying that politics and science never w- work together nicely. It's You can't compromise when it comes to science, but how concerned are you about after covid the mindset of if there were to be a spillover of a virus and, and people getting vaccinated, if a vaccine were to exist?
2: It really worries me. And, I mean, this has worried me actually well before COVID. Um, for example, during the Ebola outbreak in 2014, I remember there was a, a mad race to develop a vaccination to curb the the transmission of what was becoming a devastating outbreak. And I do remember thinking at the time, can't just walk into a country and vaccinate people without people being aware of what a vaccine is, what a contagion is, really having the very fundamental knowledge of science to understand how a vaccination works. And I'm not sure that we're actually a lot more educated in that respect. Uh, I Think about the sort of viruses I work on, for example, Hendra and Nipah virus both have fatality rates of over 50%. That means these viruses kill more than half of the people that they infect. If we have a virus like this that starts to spread from human to human, I would hope that the world would line up for a vaccination. And, of course, given given all of the misinformation that has been circulating, I, I really worry that a lot of people might die in circumstances where they wouldn't need to because of this lack of understanding the fundamentals of science.
1: Not to be morbid, I don't know what the uh, how NEPA virus presents itself, but do you think if people were to see and going back to the movie contagion you know people foaming at the mouth and 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 just dying instantly or or horrible horrific deaths that then maybe they'd lay off the internet and line up to get vaccinated
2: I I think so I, and I do think like during the covid pandemic even in my own town I noted the health professionals were telling me that the the ICU was full of people who were sick but we didn't hear about this within our community. People were shuttered away. Of course, they were isolated from others to prevent transmission, but it wasn't something we could really visualize. So I think that if we did see people becoming sick around us would have a a very different reaction. Um, But it actually can be very difficult to pick up these viruses We saw Gwyneth Paltrow framing at the mouth, dying in convulsions in a hospital and contagion. But the reality is these viruses, they present almost exactly like malaria, dengue. I mean, Ebola in 2014 was mistaken for cholera for months. So... Sometimes it's very hard to distinguish what is a new emerging infection from what is already there and already actually causing a lot of mortality in many countries
1: around the world. What is the most dangerous thing out there?
2: Well, I think the Goldilocks virus would be a virus with a high mortality rate that had pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic transmission. That means that it was transmitted from person to person. Wait, wait, does this exist?
1: now does exist or something you're talking about or that hypothetically
2: this is hypothetical i mean i think covid i think SARS-CoV-2 the virus that causes covid was very close to the Goldilocks virus in that it had pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic transmission just that the fatality rate was less than one percent but what i would be horrified to see would be a virus that was as transmissible as SARS-CoV-2, and to be really transmissible usually requires this transmission before someone is sick. Because once someone is sick, they stay home or are isolated from contact with people. But if people are walking around society transmitting something, then then it's much, much more efficient. So what I would I would hate to see something that had those characteristics, but also killed a proportion of people that were infected. And no, we haven't seen something like that. We haven't seen something like that. But if you think about, for example, you know, I work on, on bats and viruses. We have only sampled a very small number of bat species looking for viruses. And we actually don't even have the tools right now to take a virus from nature and say, oh, this virus is transmissible, or this virus could cause disease in people. So we have no idea what the characteristics are of the viruses that are circulating in nature. And so what we'd really like to do is allow those viruses just to stay in nature, circulate within wildlife hosts without having to contact people. But as I've said before, the more contact we're having with new wild places, the more encroachment we're making into high biodiverse forests, the more we're stressing animals out, the more likely we are to come into contact with more and more viruses we've never seen before. And maybe one of those viruses will have these characteristics. So that's, that's really the concern.
1: I don't want to bring politics into this, but are governments screwing around with this stuff and shouldn't be?
2: I I don't think that people are taking spillover seriously. I, I think if you look, for example, there was an actually an article just this week looking at Guinea where the Ebola outbreak started and uh, looking at the risk factor of habitat fragmentation. And the village where Ebola 2013... 14 emerged has seen massive clearing of forests so all of those factors that drive viruses from nature into people are still happening so i don't you know, i don't think there is a concerted effort to stop those fundamental drivers of spillover i think it's much easier to say let's make vaccines like you know let's have detection and absolutely we need to detect the viruses quickly we need to have vaccines to respond to them but it's much harder to say, let's solve these really complex problems of deforestation, climate change, all of these major global stresses, which are really the fundamental drivers of pushing these pathogens out of nature and into people.
1: And I don't want to get you, you know, say anything that's going to get me killed here or anything, but are, are, are governments deliberately fooling with these kind of things, weaponizing them just in case they should need them? And is that a concern of yours that eventually something's going to get out of somewhere where it shouldn't be?
2: Well, I, I really am not aware of those kind of security issues. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, absolutely, there may be things that are happening that I'm not aware of. I am much more concerned about what's hiding out in nature mm-hmm. and what humanity is doing to push it out of nature. I mean, if you think about like all of the complexities that go to engineering a virus or having something spill from a lab, um, a lot of these viruses are really, really difficult to actually isolate from the wild. I mean, for example, when we did a review of coronaviruses from bats about a year ago, mm-hmm. and at that time, there are only five isolates of coronaviruses. Uh, most people, when they work with these viruses, they actually put the sample straight into a, a solution that kills anything within the sample, mm-hmm. and people don't even bother to try to grow the viruses. It's just too too hard. But to go through all the stages to actually have something that is uh, amenable to spread amongst humans is very difficult. Whereas at the same time, we've got these thousands of opportunities every second for something to spill over from nature into people. We have people who are, for example, mining guano from bats, so having contact with bare hands, uh, inhaling the mm. the aerosols off bat guano through much of the world people butchering animals people involved in the wildlife trade people farming outside people deforesting there's so much opportunity for natural spillover events that that's my biggest concern i think that's the most parsimonious explanation for where the next virus is going to come
1: occam's razor you don't have to go looking for something that it already exists in nature right Exactly. Thank you, Doctor. I appreciate your time and your expertise. I really do. Dr. Rayna Plowright, Professor of Disease Ecology at Cornell University. We'll take a break. we come back, we're going to talk about oysters in Mississippi Sound and uh, Louisiana Diversion.